ever wonder what your therapist is really thinking? Well, that's confidential. But in this podcast, a few of my therapist friends and me show you what it's really like inside of a mental health professional's brain. Hi, welcome to Through the Eyes of a Therapist podcast. I'm Crystal Martinez Acosta, licensed professional counselor, board certified counselor. We discuss books, movies, TV shows, motherhood, current events, clinical issues, mental illness, trauma, and our own personal lives. So if you want to know what we're thinking, come on in, take a listen. Come see what the world is like through the eyes of a therapist, the podcast that destigmatizes mental illness, humanizes therapists, and demystifies therapy. Thanks for joining me for the second part of this episode, where I interview Brenda Risch, the executive director of the Borderland Rainbow Center, where we talk about what's going on in Texas with trans kids and CPS reporting. Let's get back to it. Something that I read yesterday that I thought was interesting is that I think an attorney, they didn't name her, but they said something about um, if people are denying gender affirming care to trans youth, that might be, I guess, grounds for malpractice because you're denying care. I thought that that was interesting, but I'm not sure if that's grounded in anything. I'm thinking as a therapist, right? Like in my ethical code, as a counselor, I can't necessarily just pick and choose like, oh, I don't like that person or I have a bias against that person. So I can't treat that person, right? I know that I have to do like self-study. I have to do like get consultation, supervision to make sure that I'm equipped enough to treat a person. But if it's out of my scope of practice, I do have to refer out. But if it's against like my quote unquote morals or values and I decide I can't treat you, then that's unethical. So I wonder if there's something like that that has to do with or that's related to or similar for like doctors or other professionals that are giving trans affirming care. I think there is. I mean, I think definitely in terms of doctors, you know, the Hippocratic Oath says do no harm, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, a doctor's moral objection is not grounds for denying life-saving care, right? And mm-hmm. so, nor nor a pharmacist, right? So like if a pharmacist personally, as a religious person, doesn't believe in birth control, they can't deny a customer from obtaining birth control, Right. Does that make sense? So similarly, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like a pharmacist, you know, would not be able to deny selling or providing or educating the client about the medication that's needed. Right. So if a parent Mm -hmm. had a prescription and they had a question, the pharmacist would have to answer because that's, I would say, you know, similar in their code of ethics. Like I'm not a pharmacist, but I know that it's pretty clear that they can't deny medication to someone just because they don't believe in it. And similarly, doctors can't, they can say, I don't know how to handle I don't know how to provide care. I'm going to refer to a provider who does. I think that's preferable than them trying to provide care if they don't know what they're doing. Um, Similar to the way social workers and licensed professional counselors and psychiatrists would refer. You know, if it's not within your area of expertise, then sure, Mm -hmm. refer out. But if it's just a matter of you don't think that this is what you would choose for your child, that's really none of your business. Like that's really, it's really not about you. As the practitioner, it's mm-hmm. about the client or the patient, right? And their needs. Like in, so, in social work, we yeah. say self-determination, right? Self-determination becomes before mm-hmm. our desire, our vision, our hope, 
for the person, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that it's not really a gray area, even though it feels like it to some deeply conservative religious people who've chosen this career. But, you know, I would, I would urge them to study the code of ethics for their specific licensure and really get consultation if they're not sure how that works. Because, mm-hmm. you know, although I don't want someone treating, ch- you know, youth or even adults, if they don't have the expertise, please refer to a place like the Borderline Rainbow Center. If you don't know how to handle this kind of situation, and if we can't handle it, we'll find an expert. But don't deny like life-saving basic care to someone because you're uncomfortable. Like that's part Mm -hmm. of our professional obligation, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I believe that that's the same for doctors, for pharmacists, for nurses, you know, a lot of those professions. Mm -hmm. I don't know what to say to someone who doesn't see it that way. Like, I really don't get it. It makes no sense to me. I don't see how they could feel like they're in congruence with their code of ethics, honestly. Yeah. You know, I would never try to provide care for someone with a dissociative identity disorder, right? Like I'm not expert in that. Like I, I, that's above my, that's outside of my scope of practice, my expertise. So I'm going to refer to someone who I think is expert in that. And that might be difficult Mm -hmm. to find considering how rare that condition is, but that's why there are a few people who are expert in it. And most practitioners are not right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, so similarly, there's no shame in saying, well, I don't, I don't know anything about transgender transition. Like I don't really understand the issues from the inside, maybe I should look for people that have done that work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Why is that a problem? But it's very right. different to say that and to say to a child, and I've heard reports of this, stop making a fuss. You're really a boy. Stop trying to ruin your parents' lives. Like that's mm. directly something that a parent told me their child was told by a therapist in El Paso. And that's oh a terrible situation. See, like that, I feel is almost even like emotional or verbal abuse. I I think it's completely, I think it's a violation of that person's code of ethics. Absolutely. However, I think that people say things that verge on that subtly, less violently. But the question Mm. is, is it any less harmful? Mm. If you as a therapist express doubt at the child's understanding of themselves, if you push against their desire to not be bullied for being transgender or their desire to transition or their desire to talk with their parents about their gender identity, you know, that can happen very subtly. Mm -hmm. Right. Like covertly or by omission or something. Mm -hmm. It's still harmful. Or by saying, well, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't know anything about that, but then not referring out for other care. Right. Mm -hmm. And saying, oh, uh, we're just going to focus on your depression and anxiety. We're just going to work on that or your ADHD. We're not going to work on these other issues because I don't know much about that. I I mean, Mm, I can't negligent to me. I can't tell you, Crystal, how many clients have come with that experience to our providers. No. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. No. Yeah. They said, yeah, you know, like, I really like that therapist. They were great. Like, they really helped me understand, you know, my anxiety and learn how to, like, calm myself down and manage, like, to understand what's normal, like being excited or being a little anxious and what's, like, really, like, not normal, right? Like, what I really, I really need to, like, ground myself and learn to like ask for help if I need it, if it gets really bad. Right. But, you know, they never wanted to talk about the fact that, you know, that I'm trans, like they just didn't want to discuss it. So I felt like I couldn't say anything. Like I brought it up, but they wouldn't talk with me about it. So I just kind of waited until I couldn't handle it anymore. And then I talked to my mom and dad. Oh my gosh. Wow. And there's training out there. Like if folks, you know, if folks aren't sure how to talk, 
Like a lot of mm-hmm. people don't want to talk about it because they're afraid they're going to make a mistake with pronouns or use an outdated term or like offend the person. I'm like, if as therapists, we avoid every discussion that might potentially be offensive, then what are we doing therapy about? Oh, right. For sure. Just sit there in silence. And how many situations where have clients recounted something that's truly horrific and offensive, right? And that, you Mm -hmm. know, you may not want to talk about, but you're there to receive and to hear and to acknowledge that experience and then to help the person sort through what their options Mm -hmm. are for healing. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. So, I mean, isn't it kind of in our job description to address things that are uncomfortable and learn to sit with their own discomfort and deal with that separately aside from the client? Yes. And be there attentive to their need and their desire to pursue a topic in therapy. Yeah. Cause it's not about us. Right. But somehow with this issue, it suddenly is about the therapist suddenly for many people. Mm. I, yeah, I, I don't know what to say, Crystal. I mean, I think it's a difficult one, right? It's like, yeah, just to be honest, human nature is like everybody likes being good at stuff, right? And therapists put an immense mm-hmm. amount of energy into the training and education that it takes. And also the practical knowledge. Like you learn so much working with people, mm-hmm. like in your internships right. and then in your clinical years and then with supervision and consultation, right? Like there's a mm-hmm. huge amount of effort that goes into being really expert as a therapist. And so I can understand when some people are kind of like, they don't want to admit to themselves that they maybe don't know what to do. And so then they just avoid the issue because they don't have to address it Mm -hmm. rather than not. Like kind of like ego. Yeah. 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 People like to be right. So then maybe avoidance is just the way for them to kind of, oh, okay. Like I just don't have to be wrong about that. Or I don't have to feel weird about that or feel uncomfortable about that. But then what does that tell you about that therapist? Right? Like, if they're unable to be uncomfortable, how effective are they at going to that place with their client? Right? Like, yeah, I mean, I agree. It's, it's a know. troubling implication, right? But we're human beings and none of us are perfect. And I think bias creeps in without us realizing it, right? Mm-hmm. Like yeah, one of the absolutely. things I've learned, you know, as a white person unpacking white supremacy and racism is that this is a never ending lifelong process of like, self-interrogation, action, study, reflection, you know, making mistakes, taking responsibility for your mistakes, moving forward from your mistakes. Like it's endless. It's work. It's like hard, hard work, lifelong hard work. Right. And I think very few people take those things on willingly. You Mm -hmm. know, usually you take them on because you're driven by a deep need to see justice and equity for everybody because you have empathy for folks being treated poorly because of something that's totally beyond beyond their control, or you're offended by a system that's created to be unequal, right? And unjust. Mm -hmm. And you don't want to live like Mm -hmm. that. But those abstract motivations are hard to maintain in everyday practice, right? And so you have to work at Mm -hmm. it every single day to ask yourself, what am I doing about this today? Like, where am I with this today? How am I learning, you know, from my environment and my experience? How am I contributing to the cause in a sense? And so what I've seen over and over and over with LGBTQ issues is that very nice, well-meaning, straight, cisgender people think that they're allies um, until they're really thrown into a sticky situation and they don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's when, yeah. it's when it suddenly becomes personal. It's suddenly about their child, yeah, their niece, it hits home. their grandchild, their best friend, their spouse, that they then say, oh, wow, I have stuff to learn. I better move and learn. 
right? Yeah. And then let's look at this, Crystal, because I'm sure you've thought about this, like just like how we address issues like race and ethnicity in our training. Similarly, LGBT statuses are not adequately covered, right? Like how they're addressed right. is within a very narrow context of mm-hmm. di- quote unquote diversity classes. Right. The multicultural counseling class. Yeah. Yeah. Multicultural mm-hmm. counseling. Right. And I say that with some like sarcasm. In my <laughs> Makes voice me laugh. Yeah. <laughs> because um, like F you really like that's what yeah. I am. I'm a, I'm a little star in the multicultural counseling constellation. Like, really? Mm-hmm. Like, it's, you're mm-hmm. consigning millions of people to some kind of exotic status that you better take one class on so that you can say you covered your bases. Mm-hmm. And I know, because I know that in your work, you've been active in addressing some of the inequalities of, like, access to even higher education for, you know, counseling and therapy for people of color. And then the inadequate curriculum. Well, the same issues pertain to LGBTQ people, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think similarly, folks living with disabilities, right? Um, Deaf culture, which is not a disability, Mm -hmm. right? All of those things are inadequately covered. And, you know, in medical science and in medical training, it's even more exacerbated, right? Like we go down to the basic idea that the man is the standard body upon which all medicine is formulated, which Mm. like that makes no sense whatsoever. And it's only in the last 30 years that they've really deeply questioned that in drug testing and pharmaceutical development and, and medical education. But if you look at mm-hmm. medical education, the amount of time spent on the female body is minuscule compared oh, yeah. to what's assumed to be the norm. And so then we have these like important, but somewhat slightly condescending things like learn the signs of heart attack in women, mm. you know, that get sent out to the general public. Mm-hmm. Women have yeah. different symptoms, you know, like, okay, okay, really? Mm-hmm. Why don't you yeah, say really? have Thank you. the full category of symptoms that might apply to heart attack are the following. Yes, exactly. Gender may be an important differential. That's a much more yeah. equitable way to say that, right? Yeah, equity. Mm-hmm. And then I would bet money. I would bet $1,000, Crystal, that doctors mm-hmm. are not learning about what does transgender status do to cardiac risk for for folks, Right. And what concerns or thoughts should you have if a transgender person comes to the emergency room? Mm. Like, mm-hmm. how might that affect their care, right? right? Similarly, like when we do crisis triage in counseling, right? Like if you're a counselor or a therapist who works in a crisis setting, how might someone's transgender status affect the crisis situation, mm-hmm. right? And what, yeah. would you, what would you need to be sensitive about to provide the empathetic support that every person in crisis should be receiving. Yeah. It has to be like either trans sensitive or trans informed. It's kind of like the whole trauma informed thing, but like with that lens too. Yeah. I bet you'd win that, but count me in double down. Similarly, like, you know, if you look at the, there's now trainings emerging, thank God, finally for the mass population about treating racial trauma and what are the signs of racial trauma, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, in some ways, when they talk about those symptoms and when they talk about the protocols for racial trauma, some of those things are also applicable for transgender individuals and LGB individuals who have received have been on the butt end of hatred, discrimination, bullying, violence, you know, corrective yeah. rape. Um, oh my God, the horrifying concept of therapy that is supposed to turn someone 
gay into someone straight or someone who's trans into somebody who's cisgender. Mm -hmm. So yeah, conversion therapy, conversion therapy is an abomination. And I can't wait till the day that it's illegal in every state for both children and adults. Unethical, by the way, should not be done ever by a licensed professional counselor. No, no. I mean, if you look at the major associations, they all talk about how there's no evidence that it works. So, and right. we know that evidence-based mm-hmm. practices, like where it's super at, so harmful, why would we do a therapy that doesn't work on people? That's basically emotional abuse and torture. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, it's just gross. I can't even, but believe. you know, you could tie that back into this topic, Crystal, by saying that some people who are proponents of withholding gender affirming care think that the proper route of care is to get conversion therapy for their child. That's actually a I don't thought. understand. That's actually a thought. Yeah. But why? (laughs) Like, I don't even understand. Like, it's so abusive. I think it's about intolerance. I think it's about fear of difference. It's about... Yeah, it's all that, of course. You know, the the loss of power and control. Mm Mm-hmm. It is about power. Yeah. A hundred percent. Absolutely. I mean, it's a hundred percent about power. Mm -hmm. You know, that's why white people think white supremacy work is, you know, threatening. Mm Mm-hmm. Because it implicates them in something terrible. So, Mm -hmm. but we have to take responsibility for the things we made. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, that's just a fact. Mm-hmm. So no, no and, positive action forward without reflection and responsibility for what is right. So this political move is unfortunately very impactful and very negative for youth and adults. Like we have evidence from every state where anti-transgender legislation has been passed that suicide rates skyrocket almost immediately in response. Even, I don't know if anybody studied this, but I would wager that LGB youth suicide skyrocket as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, they're being targeted. I don't blame them. It's super sad. And it's like, there's all this bias from everywhere. Where do people go, right? It's like they're being persecuted. And then their helpers are being persecuted. So it's like... So so I guess the the bottom line is we can look forward to multiple years of this. Over the next mm. decade, I hope it doesn't last as long as the marriage equality battle lasted, um, which was over 10 years. Uh, you know, that's just a lot of people to put in danger. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't think that marriage equality issues were having the same effects because it was pointed toward adults and people could have lives even if they couldn't get married, even that, though that's a terrible infringement on somebody's civil rights and endangers them in terms of being able to access care and resources like legally there were other workarounds that you could get, right? But guess what? There's no workaround when you're a child and you're at the mercy of the state. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So yeah. I think the implications of this kind of this kind of attack are even more disgusting and far-reaching and impactful. Literally, we have we are in the situation where people are willing to put children's lives on the line to get what they want. And the I think I don't know if irony is the right word, but that they're claiming that trans affirming care is child abuse, but I think denying it is child abuse. Absolutely. I mean, just like denying other medical care is child abuse. I mean, there's a long precedent of, you know, medical grounds for removing a child from a home, Mm -hmm. you know? Right. If you're neglecting to provide care for your child that's necessary, then that's abuse. Right. Like we would report that, right? As therapists or social workers. So it's like, the heck? Um, I wonder if, you could maybe talk a little bit about as professionals are listening to this, maybe therapists, social workers who want to help or learn a little bit more. What do you think you suggest? 
Well, I mean, I think there's a lot of great resources to educate, you know, oneself about these issues. I mean, you can start with the trainings at our training and education division website, driep.org, the Diversity and Resiliency Institute of El Paso. Um, We have an LGBT allyship training that will get you grounded in what you need to know to move forward. And then there is a lot of great education out there. The Fenway Institute has multiple beautiful, wonderful CEU-worthy and CEU offerings regarding LGBT people at every stage of life. So include youth, trans youth, all the way up through seniors. Um, Because guess what? LGBT people have whole lives from birth to death, like all other clients, right? So Mm -hmm. you can't just educate yourself about how to work with youth because those youth are going to grow up and become parents and then are going to be caregivers and then may be elders. Right. So, yes, um, exactly. So, yeah. So I think that's one way to go is to look at, you know, what continuing education is out there and, you know, how do you start that process by enrolling in something like our LGBT allyship course and then working through more intermediate and advanced levels of training as well. You know, we're about Mm -hmm. to put out some of those workshops soon through our same site because we found that, you know, clinicians really love asynchronous but dynamic training, right? Training they can take on their own time. They don't have to show up anywhere and cancel their patients, right? They can do it when they don't have clients scheduled, but that's dynamic and not just, you know, oh, hey, read this slide, take this like little multiple choice quiz. We're not talking about that. We're talking about there's video content, there's reflection exercises, there's worksheets, there's other kinds of content that enhances what's going on. And then, you know, there's also the considerations of like, what have you done to engage with the peer-reviewed literature. Mm -hmm. The clinicians at my agency, every week we read a peer-reviewed article um, regarding LGBTQ care. That's an excellent practice. Yeah, we have our own journal club, right? So like when I offered that to the city as a whole, to therapists all over El Paso, I would invite 50, 75 people every week and nobody would ever make it. And I'm like, oh, okay. How interesting. Yep. Huh. Yep. Then now that it's Zoom, it's easier than ever, right? You just click into the meeting and join us, and then you can have a live discussion of what we all just read. I mean, to Maybe me, if you're going to read again. peer-reviewed literature, that's the best way to make it fun. <laughs> yeah, and like more robust because there's a bunch of people. Yeah, and people have read other articles and done other studies. People have practice experience they can bring to the table. So, I mean, it's a dynamic way to um, engage with the literature. I invite anybody, if, you were, if you're interested, shoot me an email, Brenda at borderlandrainbow.org, and I will add you to our peer-reviewed article journal club that's weekly. Right now it's at noon on Wednesdays. We tend to move it here and there, depending on our schedules, but we tried to keep it at lunchtime so that folks who are in practice could do it during their lunch hour. I mean, and maybe, you know, maybe folks will come since we do it virtually, but maybe the issue was you can't come in person, right? You can't drive across the city to do that. But Mm -hmm. now that it's virtual, it's easier. But I'm telling you, you know, there's a lot of ways. My question is also is like, have you advocated even for the basics of gender inclusion in your workplace? Do you have gender neutral bathrooms or Mm. one stall bathrooms that are all people bathrooms, right? Mm -hmm. Does your agency actively recruit and promote and support LGBTQ providers? Mm -hmm. If you claim that you are an LGBT friendly provider, have you done any continuing education? to support that? Or are you saying that because your cousin is gay or your sister is a lesbian? Mm. Mm-hmm. Right? Like that's a, that's a pet peeve of mine. Like what actual 
training and education have you done to claim that you are an LGBT friendly provider, uh, much right. less an affirming provider or someone whose expertise lies in that area. So, you know, I encourage people to do as much education, to read the literature, to advocate in their own workplace. Do you have a non-discrimination yeah. clause in your workplace for LGBTQ individuals mm -hmm. and clients? Mm -hmm. Have you discussed these things in your peer review at your workplace? Have you sought consultation with a colleague with a case that you're unsure about that might involve LGBTQ clients? Mm -hmm. You know, those are all ways to take action that are very pragmatic. There's nothing esoteric about getting consultation on a case that you're not sure about. Right. Like right, we all right. should be doing that. That's a, an essential part of ethical practice. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. You know what that kind of reminds me of is like with people of color, right? Like just because I am a person of color doesn't mean that I'm an expert in like anti-racism or anti-oppressive practices. Like I have to actively get trained and continue to dismantle my like internalized oppression and have a high level of self-awareness in that area because I can continue to oppress others, right, that are still people of color or in other marginalized groups. So it doesn't matter if my cousin or even myself are part of that marginalized group, right? Like you still have to get training and still have to do the work, right? So like, how are you doing the work for yourself? A hundred percent. That's an excellent parallel, right? Is that, yeah. you know, colorism exists for a reason, right? And it can be rampant within a minority group. So you can be brown or black or, you know, whatever, and still make discriminatory or distinguishing like kind of judgments, you know, prejudice judgments about other people of color. Right. Mm -hmm. And let's mm -hmm. be honest, like, you know, our individualistic, capitalistic, white supremacist culture is very dominant and very domineering in how it like invades and infiltrates people's thoughts. And so everything from television, radio, books, everything, right? Like this is why the discussion of libraries and should libraries include diverse literature and LGBTQ literature and literature oh, that features people with disabilities, you know, living with disabilities, yeah. right? Like that's why it's essential to talk about those things mm -hmm. because the culture dominates. And so of course we all have to undo our biases, whether they're mm -hmm. around race or class or sexuality or gender or religion. Um, mm -hmm. geographic origin, yeah. cultural differences between groups. Um, mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. you know, white culture is a culture too, and there are differences in different kinds of white culture, and people don't want to talk about that either, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and, mm -hmm. and things like classism, right? Like that can be as destructive as racism or homophobia or transphobia. So you're exactly yeah. right about that. Yeah. Being I part of a group doesn't exempt you. Yeah. Another thing that I would add to that list of things that professionals can do is like you said, seek consultation, seek support, but don't be afraid to mess up. I think like sometimes we're so afraid of, like you were mentioning before, maybe um, I don't want to like treat this person or I don't know how to say a certain thing or I don't want to mess up the pronouns or something like that. It's like, okay, just, just ask or do some self-study or, you know, if you did mess up, I'm sorry. I apologize. I'm still learning about this. This is new for me. I think that people are generally forgiving. Like, for example, I have a therapist who is white from East Texas, and sometimes she messes up pronunciations of things or definitions of things that are in Spanish. And I'm not like, what the hell? And I want to fire her. You know, it's just like, oh, okay. And she apologizes and we move on. Yeah. The end. So I think not being afraid to mess up. And then also just, like I said earlier, doing the work for yourself. 
I think those are two important things to add. Well, and, and in being alert and sensitive to what's happening, you know, mm-hmm. if you find you, yourself using your client as an educational tool about their culture, there's a problem. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like you don't want to <laughs> impose that like labor on your client because then that's like. That happens a lot, mm-hmm. Crystal. I mean, it happens a lot in like in terms of race and ethnicity, but it also mm-hmm. happens a lot in terms of LGBT identities and also any mm-hmm. other non quote unquote standard identity, right? Like if you talk about the kink or the poly community, same thing, mm-hmm. right? And so. Like, what is that? Every five seconds, it's like, okay, dude, do some how research. Does that work? Jesus. How do you do that? I'm like, seriously? Yeah. Like, I mean, there was a time mm-hmm. in life where if I had a dollar for every time some straight person asked me, what do lesbians do? I'm like, oh my gosh. Really? I'm buying you the joy of sex right now. <laughs> <laughs> Here you go. Yeah. Oh my God. I'm so sorry that you can't answer that question for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Oh my gosh. Yeah. This has been super fun and valuable. I really appreciate you coming onto the podcast. Any final thoughts? Oh, where can people find you? Maybe state your website. Sure. Um, you can learn more about the Borderland Rainbow Center and our services at www.borderlandrainbow.org. And if you're interested in continuing education, training for your workplace, or consultation around employment practices or anything like that, you can contact the folks at www.driep.org. So the Borderland Rainbow Center and our training and education division, the Diversity and Resiliency Institute at El Paso. And for everybody out there, we do have free peer support groups for LGBTQ folk, especially for our trans youth, our LGBT youth, our LGBT teens, and our transgender adults. We do LGBT friendly and supportive recovery group every week. And we have a wonderful series called Decolonize You that takes on different books that help people address the impacts of racism and colonialism in their lives. Um, That's led by Alex Rivera, RN, (laughs) ironically, but uh, very interested in alternative healing. And we have our alternative healing workshops every, almost every month of the year. So be on the lookout for those special types of programming that might be of interest to you and your clients. Awesome. And I will link all those in the description below. So if anybody's interested, you can look right below the podcast icon. And again, this was Dr. Brenda Risch. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. And I hope you have a good rest of your week. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me, Crystal. And thank you, listeners. Thanks for listening to Through the Eyes of a Therapist podcast. Rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. And please connect with me, Crystal Martinez Acosta, licensed professional counselor, on Instagram at Through the Eyes of a Therapist Pod. More information about booking me for therapy or training can be found there. Until next time, keep on fighting the stigma and go to therapy. I'll see you next time. <laughs>